Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining me again on another Sunday morning as we continue to unearth these conversations around fatherhood and parenting and relationships and marriage and you name it, we talk about it. We always bring the best and the brightest, most provocative people that I can find so that they can bring the information straight to you through I Am Dad Podcast. But before we begin, I just want to thank each and every last one of you because I've been sharing this with you and you are actually listening to me. And so some weeks ago, um, we received word that through Feedspot, which is a international observer of podcasts around the world, over 2 million podcasts, they categorize podcasts. And so that podcast is one of the things that they categorize. And there's over 1,800 at least registered um, podcasts around the world that feature and talk specifically about fatherhood. Guess where I Am Dad podcast sits on that list? We are number seven on that list. Yes, we are number seven. And they look at different categories, which is so cool because most um, platforms that look at podcasts to kind of gauge them only looks at subscribers and followers. This one looks at that too, but it also looks at content. It looks at consistency. It looks at video quality. It, it, it gauges um, sound quality. It gauges, um, I can't remember, but there's seven categories that it gauges. And the only one that we're not doing well at is the one that everybody else look at, and that's subscribers and followers. And so here's what I need you to do. Y'all listening to me for a whole hour anyway. You're looking at the video on YouTube. You're listening to your platform. I know that the subscribe and follow button is right there in front of your face. So take a moment to just hit it while you're listening to this great content, because what it's going to do for us is open up the algorithms so that more people can hear us. So I'm happy to be at number seven, but I'm not comfortable at number seven because I'm a number one guy. I'm a number one at best guy. And I know that you're not a number seven listener and I want you to be a number one listener. So just do me a favor, hit that button. And then, you know, I'll be announcing probably in another few months that we're at number five and then four and then three and then one. So anyway, my guest today, oh my goodness. I've, everybody under the sound of my voice who's listening to I Am Dad podcast has her book, in your library you just don't know it's her yet and you probably have several of them because you ain't know what you was doing with parenting so you bought the first one and then you realized that you got about the second one and then you got about the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one i don't remember where she stopped but i know in my household we had at least seven of them in our household and so heidi murkoff i met her um a few about a month or so ago And let me tell you something about her, too. This is not in her bio because her bio is really long and I'm not going to read the whole bio. But she gives the best hugs. Oh, my goodness. She gives the best 
absolute best hug. So much so that we took a picture. She gave me a hug when we was taking a picture. And my wife said, who is that? And I said, who is who? And she said, who is that? She said, that's Heidi. She's like, Heidi who? I was like, Heidi Murkoff. She was like, that, Heidi, I'm like, babe, I went, I got the book, then I showed it to her. I'm like, this woman, right? She was like, oh, this guy got all excited. I was like, oh, if it was just Heidi from around the block, you'd have an issue. But because it's this Heidi, it's okay. So just to know that you, we are good, we're just good. But oh my goodness, Heidi is so uh-huh. A pleasure to have you. If you don't know uh-huh. who she is, she is the creator of the world's most popular pregnancy and parenting brand, What to Expect. The first book in her iconic series, What to Expect When You're Expecting, dubbed The Pregnancy Bible, has more than 22 million copies in print. Now it's in its fifth edition, and the book the book is the longest running title of all time on the New York Times bestseller list. The What to Expect series has sold over 42 million copies, published in 44 languages in 38 countries. And check this, in 2011, she was named one of the Time 100's most influential people of the world. And I'm sure when they had on that list of top 100, she was in at least the top five. I can almost guarantee you that she was in the top five. Heidi, my friend, how are you? I'm excited. You can hear that, right? I am. First of all, you said you weren't going to read my bio, but there you go. (laughs) But I want to say that I wish we were in person so we could have another hug. And by the way, just so your wife knows, my husband, Eric, was in that room standing right next to us. (laughs) So he's he's down with the hugs. In fact, he's seen, I've actually taught him pretty well about hugging, but yeah, I've hugged my way around the world many times and I am not stopping anytime soon. So Mm. if you haven't had had a Heidi hug yet, please take a number. Let's when get going. Get that hug. I don't even know where to start with you, but I am going to start here because I start here with all of my guests because I think it is something that my guests have come to want to hear because it, there's always, it is always such an intriguing story. Heidi, what's your daddy's story? My daddy's story? What's your daddy's story? My baby daddy or my... Either way you want to tell it. What's, are you going to tell it both ways? I want to tell the story of Eric who is like, I don't want to say world's best dad because then I might be insulting some of your listeners, (laughs) but I have to say he's pretty awesome. And I always tell the story about when we first brought Emma home from the hospital. And she, um, she's, by the way, she's now on the cover of the fifth edition of what to expect when you're expecting pregnant with our first grandson who's um now 10 so um but that's where it all started anyway we walked in from the hospital and I was I had no clue I was she was crying I was crying sobbing really and you know the hormones plus everything else never having held a baby before I just lost it. And I was like, what were they thinking sending me home with this baby, right? I I don't know what to do with this baby. I hadn't written any books yet. 
Eric took her from my arms, tucked me into bed and just took over. And he had never held a baby before. He had no experience with babies. He was just like me, totally green. And yet he had more instincts, I think, uh, than, than I did. And he was able to run with it, even though he had never run or walked holding a baby. And I think that's truly, I always say there's nothing that a mom can do that a dad can't do just as well, if not better, given the opportunity. Well, he got the opportunity and he was amazing. I think we forget that dads are biologically hardwired uh, to be nurturers. And mm-hmm. I saw that in action and I will never forget that. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of that too, Kenneth. Absolutely. You know, I, it's often, and you hear people often say when they have children, um, no one gave me a manual. And I'm like, well, that's absolutely not true because there is a manual out there. There's a manual and there's some manuals out there. And so, but I get what they're trying to say. I get that what they're saying is that where we typically learn how to parent is through how we parent it, right? That is our manual, a manual that we typically use. Now, there's some mechanics involved in all this, right? There's some, how do you do this? How do you do that? What happens when you do this? Which way should you hold them up, right right side up or upside down, sideways? You know, those kinds of things. (laughs) But that's where men come in, right? Because we are mechanical like that. We need a book. We need a manual. <laughs> Which is why my first child was born, your book was the first book I purchased because I was looking for a manual because I needed something to read to tell me what to do and to not listen so much to what people were telling me to do. When you think about exactly. all the years that you've written your books and all of the conversations that you've had about your books and people giving you testimony and narrative, tell me about a time that someone said something to you about your writing and about your book that at that moment made every word you have ever put on paper worth it. Oh, I can't tell you how many moments those there have been. And, you know, I don't, I I meet parents from all over the world and I hear the same thing because I always say motherhood is the ultimate sisterhood, fatherhood is the ultimate brotherhood, and we are all one big family. Um, We're all different. We all have different experiences. I work a lot with military families and, and of course their challenges are different. I've, I've hugged my way through refugee camps in, um, in, uh, the Somalian border and in Syrian border. Um, and so I know that those struggles are different too, yet we are all uniquely connected by an emotional bond and we all want what's best for our baby. So every, every time I hear, you know, I, your voice got me through this experience, whether it was literally my voice on the app or whether it was in the books, um, that I felt like I was, you know, that you were sort of my surrogate mom and showing what to do and telling me um, more than anything else, I think cheering me on and making me feel supported. So it's not always just about the information. Information 
knowledge is power. It's especially empowering when you're pregnant or a new parent, right? And you do want to know what to do and, and how to do it. But at the same time, you also need that hug. Mm-hmm. And when I hear people say, you know, I felt supported, I felt <laughs> hugged. Um, I, I felt like you were talking me through this, holding my hand. That's that's as good as it gets. And I've heard that, you know, from from parents around the world. And each one is so special. Like I don't think in big numbers of millions of people. I think of each mom and each dad um, as you know as unique and as you know a, a connection that I can make. That's that's very special. Yeah. For you, which one has happened more? That you have poured into your own motherhood what you've learned by writing or what you have poured into your writing by what you've learned by being a mom? Which one has happened more? So, again, I knew nothing going into this experience. There were no books. There were a couple of books about pregnancy that were written by, you know, male doctors. And I'm not disparaging male doctors. However, have you been pregnant lately is always the question. And so can you put yourself in a pregnant woman's shoes and understand that her shoes don't fit because her feet are swollen? Like, can you empathize? And that was sort of lacking in, in what was out there at the time. Um, and so I, I, I didn't have anywhere to turn to when I had all my worries and all my concerns. So I walked into this, well, literally I gave birth to what to expect on the same day that I gave birth to Emma because I had just delivered uh, the proposal for what to expect um, two hours before I went into labor. So it was a busy day. It was like a very productive day, a very busy day. Um, But I hadn't written the book yet. So you know, walking away from that experience and not having had that hand holding and um, being talked off the ledge. Have you ever been on the ledge and you just like, you're at your breaking point and you just need someone to say it's going to be okay? You know, you're a great mom, you're a great dad, you've got this, I'm right there with you. Um I didn't have that. I had Eric and Eric was amazing and he had me and I like to think together we could conquer anything, but we didn't have, you know, now you have a social media network. You can, you can make friends with, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of other parents and feel connected. Um, But we didn't have an internet. So, which was a mixed blessing, but there was nowhere to really turn to unless I stayed on the phone with my my OB or my pediatrician 24-7. And I didn't, obviously, I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to say that giving, that, that getting the information, but getting it from uh, a, someone who gets it, who knows what you're going through, who can truly empathize, um, is 
so I, I would say it's a combination. Yes, I do my homework. I don't make this stuff up. And my pregnancy experience is me different from yours. My parenting experience, every baby's different. Every mom's different. Every dad's different. So I can't tell you exactly what to expect, but I can support no matter what happens. So it's a combination of inf information that you can trust, but also I've been there, I've done that, I've lived to tell about it and to write about it. So it's that, it's sort of a, a, a perfect little balance. And um, yeah, that's, so it's, it's really both. Okay, got another question and then we're gonna jump into this daddy stuff, but I got so many questions about the yeah. book. I think this is the- Sure. In my head. And so one of the things that we've watched, you and I in our respective fields is this whole notion of parenting, right? And the evolution of parenting mm -hmm. and how parenting has changed. When you think about the first edition and you think about now the fifth edition, what has significantly changed between that one and the one that you are currently publishing? So a lot of things never change, right? Pregnancy, pregnancy is still about, you know, 40 weeks, give or take, you know, a, a few weeks. Um, you're still queasy and constipated and bloated and you got mood swings. Um, babies are still super cute and super confusing and bewildering um at the same time so they're super snuggle snuggly but you don't know how to get them to stop crying so it, they're kind of a mystery no matter what so those things haven't changed um but a lot of things have changed even you know using parenting as a word. I don't even think we called it parenting. And it's certainly in my parents' day, it was just something you did. You know, you didn't beat up about it. You just, you know, did it. And there was no preparation. There were no classes. Um, but you also had your your extended family close by often in generations past. I'm not talking about my generation, but in previous generations, you know, the, it, it was a village that raised the child together. Um, so you were never really on your own as we often are today, at least physically alone um, and sometimes isolated. So um, at the same time, we have, you know, the, we have the, um, the, uh, the online community that can can support us too. It can also judge us and shame us. So it's again a, kind of a mixed blessing. Um, but you know, lots of little details about pregnancy and and parenting haven't changed. But lots of recommendations and guidelines have. But I do think it's most of all the experience itself and how we experience becoming a parent that's different. It's not just something that we fall into. I mean, yeah, I got knocked up. We didn't plan a baby, but mm -hmm. um, it's not something you prep and prepared for back in the day. And now it very much is. Um, I would say instead of no information that I had, uh, 
there's sometimes too much information, too much conflicting information, but you don't really have to go any further than the cover of the first What to Expect When You're Expecting book, and please don't look at it, but it's, um, you know, a woman in a rocking chair. I did not design this book cover, by the way. (laughs) She's wearing like this big, you know, potato stack of a dress and you know back then you could sleep a family of five under you know under a maternity dress and that's literally she looks just she looks miserable um she looks constipated all those things she just doesn't look happy and then if you look at the cover of the fifth edition with my daughter emma on the cover she's holding her belly she's smiling she's just you know, showing the joy, embracing the curves, showing it off and, and, um, you know, just experiencing pregnancy in a very different way than I was allowed to. Hey, by the way, I once wore a a one piece bathing suit to the swimming pool when I was eight months pregnant and people looked at me like I was naked, like there was something disgusting about showing the pregnant belly. And then Demi Moore was on Vanity Fair naked and, when she was pregnant and then everything's changed. So it's kind of like a metaphor for how things have changed in covers of the books, but um, it's, we feel more empowered in our pregnancies and in our parenting journey than we used to. Um, Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've noticed and um, my youngest daughter is now having a baby. And so- Oh, congratulations. Yeah, and she's like my mini me. And so she's 23. Um, she has her own business. She started her own business. She has her dreams. She has all of those things. She's not okay. married, but children not being married now is not the no. social, you know, you know, thing that it used to be, you know, no. years no. ago. But what I have noticed with her generation, you know, because I go also go to a church of a lot of young moms, a lot of young millennial and generation Z moms. Yeah. The transition the transition that I've seen is that, you know, I think in previous generations, having a baby has always been um compartmentalized in this the baby is in this space, my relationship, husband, whatever is in this space, my household in this space, and then if I have a um, career, it's in this space. Mm-hmm. And then it began to merge a little bit, and then it was somewhat not the baby in this space and the relationship in that space, and over here, my relationship in this space. It seems with the younger moms that there is no departmentalization of it anymore, that it is all part of whatever they're experiencing at that time. And it's their language. Like I heard a good friend of mine who just had a baby, entrepreneur, high functioning, go get it, just, you know, that person. And she posted something on Facebook and she said, um, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, um, I thought when I had a baby, I would have to stop what I was doing until I realized that having a baby was part of what I was doing. Exactly. And I was like, whoa. So when you think about that generational shift, because we're talking about generations, right? 
Have you had to think about how young moms and how young dads are thinking about raising their children? I know the mechanics don't change, but it's the philosophy and how to think about it. Right. Yeah, babies are still made the same way. Right. However, with a with a few variations on the theme. So let that be said. Um, but absolutely, you know, now I mean, back in my mother's generation, it was something that you know, you you were a mom, you were a housewife, you were a mom, you didn't have a life outside that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that moms and dads see the whole big picture of who they are. And being a mom doesn't mean that's your only dimension, mm-hmm. right? You're also, you have a partner, you're a lover, right? You're, you have a relationship. Um, you have, whether it's your work life or what you love to do, and that's really good for kids to see, you know, that their parents have different dimensions to them, even if to the kids, you know, your mom and your dad, and, you know, you are needed and wanted, but there are other sides to you, and that's as it should be. So, I think that's, and, and developing all those different sides yeah, um, you can't put everything number one on your priority list. I think that's a mistake that, hey, listen, we're all very overachieving. And that's just something that has gotten, I would say, women, moms today, and not to the same degree dads, but our micromanagers say, you know, especially if you've waited 10 years to have a kid, you're in your career, you think you can manage everything and manage it all perfectly. And then a baby throws you totally for a loop, right? Because you, you can't micromanage a baby. Mm-hmm. You can manage, you can get through the day, but you can't micromanage. And sometimes that comes as a bit of a reality shock. Um, And so you you have to, you know, first of all, give yourself lots of grace and realize that, you know, everything can't be number one priority, Um, but that it's important to devote some time and some uh, presence to the other sides of your life that make you a happy and fulfilled person. And for me, married... 41 years, um, that that was always a priority too, as much as the kids. Kids grow up, they move away from home, you know, they they are not forever in the same way that your partner can be if you if you play your cards right and if you don't put relationships on the back burner. So it could be your relationships with friends or it could be your job that's so important to you. I was lucky because I was doing my passion, which also had to do with being a parent, just as yours. You're able to do that as well. Um, but, you know, you, to be truly fulfilled, you've got to pay attention to all those those parts of you that cry out for attention. Right. So interstage, right? Um, dads. And yes. so now we're in the space and we're pressing our way in, right? And we're trying yeah. to get society to understand that, to your point earlier, um, that we are nurturers, right? We yep. just nurture different, yep. right? We are 
carers, we just care differently. Um, we can do a lot of things. We just do them differently. Um, we love the same as deeply. We just love deep differently and we express differently. When you think about dads um, as you're writing your books, how much thought that you give them when you were writing the books so that you could write it in a way that both moms and dads could glean from what you were writing? Well, and I think that has evolved a lot over time. Um, you know, back in in the earlier editions, there weren't special. Well, actually, there was a special section for dads. Now dads are integrated throughout the book. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, and that goes for even the prequel to what to expect when you're expecting, which is what to expect before you're expecting, mm-hmm. which is all about, you know, TTC, trying to get, trying to conceive, getting pregnant beyond the obvious that we discussed briefly. Um, but that it actually takes two healthy people to make a healthy baby and that this is not, you know, there's no... Um, me in parenting, right? There's us. If there are two parents in the picture, they should be playing on the same team and it should be a a team effort, everything you do. And that was my experience. It wasn't my experience growing up, but it was my experience with with Eric. And um, no matter what, we never, never fought about parenting ever. Well, we actually don't fight that much anyway, if at all. Um, but but at the, but what was important is that we each contributed what we did best. Mm-hmm. Like he could make the best monster dues with shampooing the kids. He gave like the kids incredible monster dues and they loved their shampoos. Mm-hmm. I couldn't shampoo my way out of a paper bag. Like it just wasn't my job, right? Um, he couldn't breastfeed, but he did the best story time. There are so many things that he did better than I did. And it was just something that we fell into where we knew what our strengths were, but it was always a team effort. And so throughout the book, you know, I'm speaking to both parents. You know, if I'm talking about breastfeeding, even breastfeeding, fathers, when fathers are supportive of breastfeeding, the odds of success are three times greater. So fathers have an amazing, incredible, sort of, such an impact on, on all aspects of a child's life before conception, during pregnancy and beyond. And it's time that we recognize that and, and stood, you know, with dads, whether it's two dads, a dad and a mom, two moms, doesn't matter. It it takes two when there are two in the picture, and a child benefits in endless ways from that. Mm-hmm. Do you get a lot of feedback from dads? Do they kind of say do. they would like to see this or see that? Um, actually, I have to say, and i've I've done um, I've done a lot of baby showers for. For dads only in on military bases, um, and I think if and attended a lot of classes where dads are the ones who ask the most questions, they are the most inquisitive. They take more notes. Mm-hmm. They take lots of notes. Is my experience, and I think 
we just don't give them credit for being serious about this job. Mm-hmm. And so I've only had positive feedback from fathers um, who appreciate that they're being uh, not only accepted, but encouraged um, as, you know, as, as members of the same team, which is, it's come a long way, you know, from, from the time when dads were on the outside looking in and they should never be on the outside looking in. Yeah. I could tell you that what I've experienced with the dads that we serve um, is that where I've seen that show up the most where dads are just extremely laser and intentionally focused on parents. Yeah. And I'm sure this is with moms as well, but I've seen it acutely with dads. And that is when they are fathers of children with special needs. Mm. Like they lock in in a way that is like, whoa, if you ever want to describe super dad, it's those dads because they take everything serious they read the research they read books they go in to listen to webinars and they read they spend way too much time on webmd and they do all these things but they're knowledgeable about things that is beyond what typical dads are knowledgeable about when it comes to parenting in general and so do you do anything in your parenting books around that particular area? And that is parenting when you have a child with special needs. I do have um, some content, especially in what to expect the second year, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of those special needs aren't diagnosed until, you know, around the first birthday. Um, but yeah, for sure. I've noticed the same thing with dads that they are, you know, and not just with when their child has special needs, but just in terms of keeping their child safe right. and healthy. I think it's almost like they, you know, there's so there are things that they can't control, but this is something they can control. Mm-hmm. And and some I've seen, you know, become control freaks about things like safe sleep and, you know, the car seat and making sure everything is baby proofed. Um, even, you know, I've had so many moms tell me that their partners kept them up all night during pregnancy saying, turn your back, turn around, turn around. You can't be on your back. You're after the fourth month and like becoming or becoming like obsessive about you didn't eat your vegetables today. You can't eat that. What are you? You're, you're pregnant. You need to be eating this. Mm-hmm. So it's almost, um, you know, sometimes they get a little uh, controlling, but it's all with the intention of of their their child's best interests and yeah, think, and their partners. Yeah, I think the worst thing that our wives and girlfriends have allowed men to do is to learn how joyful and, and and loving the experience of parenting is. Like we kind of always been on the outside, right? To your point, yeah, the providers totally. and the protectors, but never been in that space. And now that we're in there, we're like, huh, this getting up at three o'clock in the morning, feeding the baby is kind of cool. Like, you know, this is like. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I tell, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of skin to skin for fathers. Um, and, Unfortunately, often um, what I've seen is that 
especially fathers of color, are often not invited to that experience. They're often uh, not included in those first moments after birth. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement there, but dads, you know, doing skin to skin when you're a father is just as important as doing it as a mother. You release oxytocin just like you do as mother, dads do, just by putting a bare, you know, your your bare baby on your bare skin. Um, and they, they don't care if there's fur, right? They don't care if there's fur on your chest. They just love that and soak up every moment of it. And it's so important for bonding. Um, it's a super joyful experience, but it's getting that oxytocin flowing and flowing early that is so key. And baby wearing, anything that gives you an opportunity to be, to be close to your baby um, encourages those hormones to flow. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that even during pregnancy, men produce less testosterone and more estrogen. Um, it's nature's way of bringing out the nurture in the male of a species. It happens throughout the animal kingdom. It's something that happens, is supposed to happen. It's that, you know, being biologically hardwired to nurture. What has happened, though, is that as, you know, as we developed our roles, you know, and the hunters, gatherers, whatever. Um, when it came to childcare, it was always a uh, maternal gatekeeping thing. Mm. And still is to a large extent. You have mom saying, oh, you never do anything. You never help out. And then as soon as the dad is doing something, they're like, oh, you're doing it all wrong. Well, mm -hmm. that's maternal gatekeeping. And that's not cool. Right. We we have to include fathers and let them do things their way. I've had mom say, well, you know, I don't know how to get my baby to, you know, to be closer with my partner. Um, leave them alone together. Mm -hmm. Right. Get out of the house. Leave them the two of them to to bond and to to find their their way together you can't do it if someone's always hovering over your shoulder telling you what to do or what to feel so i think it's it's so important for dads to be you know doing their own thing as you said yeah the other space that you've found yourself in which is a space that you and i connected on is in the space of policy and legislation as it yes. relates to impacting um, mothers and parents in general. Yes. Um, how did you end up in that space? Did it, it was just organic or was that intentional that you were really speaking for all of these folks that you've been uh, mentoring and teaching all of these years and kind of felt like there was a voice missing? Tell me about that experience. Uh what what it what started it all was um, a kind of epiphany moment. I was invited to do um, to come speak to pregnant inmates at Rikers in prison. I think it was 1990, maybe maybe even 89, um, and I didn't know what to expect. Boom. I brought books for them to read. I had no idea whether they would want the books or anything. And I took questions, which is something, you know, I normally would do anywhere. 
And what occurred to me right away is that these questions were exactly like questions I would get anywhere else. And no matter what the circumstances these moms were facing, they did want the best for their baby. I think we're really quick to assume that when moms, you know, dads aren't, you know, acting like nurturers or maybe they're using drugs or they're drinking or whatever, their wife isn't stable. Um, it's because they don't love their baby. And that's just not true. It's because to be a nurturer, someone has to nurture you. Mm-hmm. And it could be your parents, it could be other people in your life, but to be a nurturer, you must be nurtured. And so I became all about nurturing nurturers and And that included every mom, every dad. And so we started the What to Expect project back then. Um, And the idea was, you know, every mom, every dad deserves a healthy pregnancy and a safe delivery and a healthy future and a healthy baby. And how can we empower parents with the information that they need when maybe, you know, they don't have access to books, they don't have access to, to the resources they're often not paid attention to, not listened to. Um, and we still have that issue a great deal in this country. We have so many racial disparities when it comes to care. So it became, yes, a, a natural evolution into um loving on every parent, no matter what their circumstances were. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, whether we've been a couple of times to South Sudan and Sierra Leone and places where maternal mortality is really high and support is really low, but then you come home to the U.S. and you see the same thing. Right. And it's shocking and it's unacceptable in the wealthiest country in the world. So that's why the What to Expect Project, we are, you know, it's bringing that, um, those resources to the parents who need them the most, but who are least likely to receive them. And and that's about many things. It's about paid family leave. Mm -hmm. It's about better maternal health care. It's about ending disparities in health care, which are, you know, which gaps that have always existed, but have only gotten worse over the last years. So that we have such a high maternal mortality rate, especially for black moms and American Indian, uh, Alaska native moms. It's just stuff that is totally preventable. And if we all advocate, um, the last uh, resolution that we brought to Congress and that was adopted, Um, in fact, by unanimous consent in the Senate, led by Senator Warnock, is a father's resolution um, that that outlines the importance of fathers, not only, you know, because it's every baby deserves a dad, that kind of thing, but because they are the best champions when we let them be of maternal health care, of infant health of a child's future health and success fathers are you know have a huge impact on that so there are so many things that we're advocating for in military military families um they face unique challenges uh and so we have a whole bunch of of um of bills that we've been able to uh get through uh Mm -hmm. as well so 
it's all about the results. It's, you know, it's fine to talk about it, but we need action. It's a space that I definitely want to get into. I've been kind of, to your point about evolving, I've been evolving into that space. That's and so great. really trying to, I think that that um, event that, they, that we were at, you know, I actually had the opportunity of interviewing Congressman Jimmy Gomez about the Dad's Caucus and talking to yeah. him. Really, really like him. I like his spirit and he's uh-huh. just so great. He's like, anything I could do, Kenneth, just let me know. I'll contact we get talking. I was like, I just want to be the individual to feed you information. If you need information, if you need to know, if you need testimony, if you need research, if you need whatever, I do this thing called the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse, right? And it's the arm of the federal government that oversees all of the grantees for fatherhood across the country. Been doing it for 12 years. So I know an awful lot about this fatherhood state. And I know what fathers are looking for and I know what the service measures are. But one of the things I said to him was, there has to be an added component to your conversation. And while it is admirable that we ask men to stand up for those issues that are impacting um, moms, that dads need services as well. And they need services. Oh, well. yes. The number of single, uh, the number of, of single father-led households are skyrocketing. Um, the number of yep. fathers who are getting full custody of their children is skyrocketing. Um, and unfortunately, in a really unfortunate way, when many of these moms that are meeting their unfortunate end as a result of doing the most beautiful thing on earth. And that is having a baby who you think is taking care of the children. They're the fathers and they are struggling with getting services to be great parents. Think how crazy that is. Like we have fathers in Atlanta that are literally, they're not anymore. Thank God. But fathers who are literally living in their cars with their children because the shelters don't allow men and children into the same. How ridiculous is that? Uh, so it's these conversations as I continue to kind of do this work, just broadening the conversations so that no one is falling through the gap. Because at the end of the day, if a parent falls through the gap, so too does the child. And so we need to close all gaps so that neither moms or dads are falling through because that way, that is the way that we prevent children from falling through the gaps. And he, he I mean, he was so just like, wow. I said, yeah, no, let's do this thing. No, let's, let's do, uh, we can do this. And we have an army of fathers across this country. And I'll say this, and then I wanna get your last thoughts um, on what you got coming up. Cause I know you gotta have something in the hopper coming up. And so we're doing this thing. <laughs> called the Million Father March. We do it every year. A good friend of mine, Philip Jackson. That's you? Oh, that's, that's incredible. That's, that's mine. And so it, was, it started yeah. with Philip Jackson out of Chicago. A really, really good friend of mine. We started it in like the early 2000s. And unfortunately, he yeah, passed away. Yeah, he passed away right before um, COVID, a couple of, maybe a couple of, a few years before COVID. And my, a couple of friends and myself went to Chicago to go and meet him and talk to him about his projects and his legacy and to just love on him. Just, and one of the things he did when we went to go see him is he asked me to take over the Million Fathers March so that that work wouldn't die. And I took on that work. And so pre 
COVID, we were in 91 cities across the country. And then COVID wow. and it literally like wiped us out. And so this is literally the first year that we've come back full on to do Million Fathers March around the country. And school hasn't even started yet. And we have already registered um, 100 schools, districts, and our organizations. And right now we're in almost 103 cities across the country. And people, they're just coming in like crazy. And so somehow I want to begin to start taking the work that we're doing in these mm-hmm. schools and begin to start moving information into these entities that are now working with these fathers so that they can begin to right. educate inform our fathers and our moms on the ground as to what's happening with policy up top because they're in school. So if they're talking to dads, they're definitely talking to moms, right? But we're harnessing these dads and right now because we ask each organization how many dads do they anticipate serving through the Million Fathers March. So we have a number per registrant. Right now that number is over 50,000. So if I'm talking about 50,000 dads right now that I can touch and give information around the country in all socioeconomic levels or races or income, these are dads that love yeah. their children, that they love this work, they love education, they love all these things. If we equip and empower them with the information that they need, there goes your advocates walking into Congress saying that they need help That's with the right. that are being pushed at the top. So we should talk Uh, about that. We, oh my God. Well, first of all, I, I want in on whatever. (laughs) We are, we are completely on, you know, this is, I am dad. I am mom. I am grandma, whatever. This, it it takes, it takes that village. So um, count me in on your village. I think what you're doing is amazing. And um, we need, we need to, to enlist everybody in in this fight for happier families. Listen, we make it so hard to be a parent in the United States, so much harder than almost anywhere in the world, certainly anywhere in the developed world. Um, And and that goes from paid family leave to affordable childcare and just healthcare in general. We do a really lousy job. And we must do better. And, you know, we have Moms Rising and other organizations that are very mom focused. But I think it takes moms and it takes dads and it takes that passion and advocacy. And I march with you. Thank you. And I'm marching with you. And so, listen, I know I'm going to say this to you. You can give me the handles and all that stuff. But I'm sure anybody who has fingers and can type on a computer can find you. <laughs> Give everybody your contact information. So if they want to know how to contact you, where to purchase the books, which is another easy answer, right? But let's oh, let well, Yeah, it's at, it's at Heidi Murkoff. That's on my social media is at Heidi Murkoff. So, you know, I answer every question that I get. Um, you know, if, if someone messages me on Instagram, I accept the message. Um, if they're trying to sell something, then I decline. But if they're asking a question or they just want to share an experience um, or just need a hug, I am always there for you. So just keep I that mean, in mind. Um, and so much. Yeah. And then there's the What to Expect app, which uh, is an incredible community of moms. So um, you could just go to any 
um, app, um, Apple and or um, what's the other one? You know what I'm talking about. Well, the, yeah, it's, yeah, it's an, it's an app and um, it's the what to expect app. And um, what else? Just, yeah, anybody who who wants to reach out, please always do that because I am always there for you. Um, and so I'm staying true f- to my word. I'm actually downloading the what to expect <laughs> now. And I yeah. also tell my daughter to download it. because Oh, yes. Pregnancy tracker on here. Oh, my gosh. Yes, she I'm definitely gonna, should. I'm going to have her and, do that. All right, guys. What to yeah. expect app. You need to download this. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a lot of great information in here. And so, go ahead. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Eric, you're the man, bro. I don't know if you're listening or you're going to hear, but you're the man, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to spend so much time with your wife. You guys are incredible. I know that he is instrumental in the work that you're doing. I love oh, power I love power teams. I love husbands and wives that are out there doing this thing and just making a difference in the world. I love it. Oh, it's the least that we can do, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you have all my information. Call me. Put me in, coach. If you need me, I'm there with you. Um, And anything I can help you with and connect you with, um, my resources are yours. Mi casa, su casa. I think that's how it goes, right? I, I I believe so, but just as long as you know that I'm always there for you as well, Thank and you. can accomplish so much more together, right? Absolutely. So thank you so much. And thank until you the too. next hug. Absolutely, until the next hug. I like that. And um, to all of my listeners on I Am That podcast, hugging you as well, thanking you for joining us again. Um, and you know how I like to leave you always be kind to others as you're kind to yourself or you might find yourself by yourself always shoot high for your goals because even if you miss you'll be amongst the stars and as my good friend and mentor Art Mitchell used to always tell me it's nice to be important but it's much more important to be nice till next Sunday love you and there's absolutely nothing you could do about it take care (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time. I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things because of this reminder. I will always understand that I am dad, period. <laughs>